Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. So today we have an incredible interview. We are interviewing Angie Fletcher. She is a public figure. She is an Insta friend of mine. And we actually had a really good Instagram live a couple weeks ago. And I realized that we needed to dive deeper, which is why we asked her to come onto the podcast to really get into more of her story and to really talk about her journey and how to essentially share some tools for a lot of us in terms of finding resilience throughout life's challenges. Angie, you have been through a lot and I don't want to read your bio and share your story. So I feel like we're just going to get into it so you can kind of talk a little bit about what you've been through and how you found resilience through it all. Yeah. Um, Well, I've been through a lot, (laughs) but again, it's all, it's all comparable, right? It's all like, I feel like everyone's been through a lot. Everyone has their own crazy, amazing, unique story. Um, Mine happens to be a lot around death, divorce, and depression. That's the D's. That's three D's. I know. I feel like, isn't that also in, in real estate? There's like, the th- there's the three D's also where like, it's a good time to buy like divorce. Oh, <laughs> anyway, it's a good, to, like, I uh, forget what it is. Anyway, back to me. Um, yes. My whole platform, my whole public figure, as you say, public figure platform is around death, divorce, and depression um, and other sunshiny rainbow topics. Yeah, we're going to keep it light today. We're going to keep yeah. it real light. <laughs> yeah. No, that's just, it's, it's what I've been through. Um, I started out my, my dad died when I was 11. And, but even before that, like, I don't have a lot of memories and I don't know if that's because the trauma of his death when I was 11 kind of cut some of those memories from before. I haven't been to like, you know, the deeper, deeper Uber therapy sessions that kind of let you get all those memories back. But, um, Anyway, needless to say, all I remember as a child is being dark, like dark and melodramatic and like sitting at the window and staring out at the window and seeing like the people walking and like just having this soundtrack in my head of just darkness. I don't know why. I was just always super drawn to to drama and darkness and negativity. And I was always, um, my mom had categorized me as the weak one. So she had four kids. And so I was labeled you know, by my mom as the weak one, I had hypoglycemia and I was always the one that like had really bad PMS. And I always missed school because I had some ailment. And, you know, now looking back, I think a a lot of that, I now have the tools for, um, because I still deal with a lot of symptoms of depression and I deal with symptoms of depletion. I don't call it depression. I call it depletion. Uh, but I now have tools to, to deal with those where I didn't when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. But when I look back, as we all can in the rearview mirror, and, and we're like, oh, this is what I could have done there, or this is what I could have done there, where you really only know that in life's experience and, and what you've been through. Um, but it was, it was just depletion. It was, I was nutriently, nutritionally depleted. Um, and I hate putting that on my mom because again, we just know what we know, you know, and I can't blame her for anything. She was a widow at 38, raising four children on, on her own. So she had her own stuff that she was dealing with, but um, yeah, I was always, I was, I was always dealing with that. And through my teenage years, uh, not a lot of people knew about it, but I was, I was extremely depressed. And even on the outside, as I was modeling, you know, all through Europe and doing all the, what, people would see as more of a glamorous lifestyle, I was still completely depleted, especially nutritionally, because I was a model trying to fit into sample size clothing and trying to, you know, look a certain way on the outside. And I did it all wrong. I did it all by depleting myself and not eating. And, um, and 
yeah, just not, not fueling myself whatsoever. Um, I don't want to put a label on any of that, but story. I mean, yeah. and I, I think that, you know, we, you've, you are now somebody who so many people turn to for advice. And I'm sure also that kind of gets, you know, potentially a little exhausting, but we can probably talk about that in, in this world that we're living in on social media as well. But, and I know you do it, you come from a place of love and you share so generously with everyone but you're also sharing your experience. And I, I think we all know there are a lot of people who are suffering out there and who are not in a good mental health place and who are seeking answers or, you know, scrolling the gram and, you know, potentially feeling triggered. And I can just imagine what's the day like and what's a day in, in, in the life of Angie's DMs? You know, when, you know, when you have your computer open and it crashes because you have so many open files, mm-hmm. there's like a million open, open files and it crashes. That's, that's my IG. That's my life actually lately. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, even when I looked at the, when the podcast was today, I was like, oh, crap. It's one, it's two o'clock Eastern. That's one o'clock my time. So I lost a whole hour and all the tabs were open and all the things. And I was just like, oh my goodness. I didn't even read through what we were supposed to read through. So oh, I'm just all good. That. It's talking that's about pretty yourself. much what I do. <laughs> You're good. I know. And actually that's, that's what takes a lot of stress off is I am who I am. I'm, I am who I am on here with you guys, the same person as I am on Instagram, the same same person as I am in the grocery store. So if I post something on IG and the person sees me that day in the grocery store, they'll recognize me because I'm the same person. I'm a hot mess. You know, and I, <laughs> I don't shy, I don't shy away from that. You know, I'll be in there like with missing teeth, like going to grab a bag of carrots and a bag of chips. And it's it's the same person. So that that doesn't stress me out. What stress, what is difficult to deal with a day in the life of my DMs is I just wish that there was more time. I wish that I had way more hours in the day to help people because now, like you said, now more than ever, people are dealing with more than they ever have. And especially when it comes to confusion, to orthorexia, to uh, analysis paralysis, you know, to, to everything, you can be the healthiest person and be the most stressed out because you know, you're looking at every single label and you're, you're freaking out because it has citric acid instead of this. And it has that instead of this. And, and you're extremely unhealthy because you're so orthorexic and it's stressing you out. So um, in, in my DMs that I can't have anyone else answer for me. So I can't have an assistant. I can't have anyone else answer because they're asking me a personal question. So I think that's kind of the overwhelm for me is, is wanting to help more than I can. And also because I'm very empathetic towards all of those DMs because they're asking from a place of desperation. And I was in that place uh, for many, many decades. And so the empathy that I have and the responsibility that I feel is to share my story because it helped me so much. And I want to help as many people as I can before I die. So that would be like, the overwhelm in my DMs. It's not, if I was just a fashion blogger or a model like I used to be or an actress where, you know, I can post a bunch of links to the products that I use or, (laughs) you know, different things like the cute t-shirt that I'm wearing right now, I would have an assistant help me and and do a bunch of those links. But my DMs are filled with desperate Mm -hmm. people asking for desperate results. And it, it's extremely heart-wrenching for me. And I do the best that I can. Maybe we can get into that. What do you think, Lex? Yeah, for sure. And I, I, yeah. And with that, I was wondering around like your strength and this finding resilience, like what was the turning point or have you always been this strong? So you're a model and was it, yeah. So there's a turning point in here. Oh yeah. There's there's many turning points. I was, I'm a completely different person now than I was in my twenties, even thirties. Um, I was, I, I, my mom labeled me the weak one for a reason, because I was very weak. I was very weak emotionally. I was very weak physically. Like I said, hypoglycemia, PMS symptoms, like crazy. Um, I just, I was always the weak one. And I, I had like a couple of things that I enjoyed doing. So I was always in choir and drama. So I wasn't athletic. 
Um, even though I did do a triathlon in grade nine where we like ran around the school and like swam in the pool, <laughs> you know, everyone was cheating. I was the last one out of the pool because I saw people were cheating and I was like, oh, how dare you? I'm the last one out of the pool. Anyway, um, but I didn't gain resilience until I hit rock bottom over and over and over and over again. That was my... That, w- that was how I gained tools, was just constantly falling flat on my face. Um, so it, it, it came from doing things over and over again. It wasn't one turning point. Like I said, there's many examples that I can give of one being in the hospital, one being in the back alley in Milan, one being at my mother's deathbed, like so many different, different turning points that I had that continued to put different power tools. Like if, if you have one of those socket wrenches, you know, and you have like all those different types of wrenches that you can have on, on the top. Um, those are just all the tools that I gained through all the different experiences that I had because I learned resilience when I was modeling a different type of resilience. Like I, I learned, you know, a, a lot of people can't handle the trolls on IG while when I was modeling, it wasn't all glamorous. I was standing there and you're standing there and being judged by 20 different people and not only judged by all of them, but their careers or their job is on the line because of you. So for me, my hair was always this, you know, crazy rat's nest, curly, crazy hair that people are like, Oh, I love your hair. But it's a, it's a stylist nightmare because you can't really blow dry it. You know, you can't make it anyway. (laughs) I digress, but Everything that like, or I had really bad acne as a teenager, really, really bad scarring and acne. And that is a makeup artist nightmare because it makes them look bad because you have bad skin. So I was used to being judged for the 20 years that I was modeling and judged pretty harshly because I, I wasn't the classic, you know, beautiful model. I had my own kind of way that I did things. Um, My curly haired acne scarred face. (laughs) Somehow I just still was a model. Um, so I was used to being judged and and that created a bit of resilience in me, but again, all the different things that I went through created resilience and created the, allowed me to gain the tools that no one can ever take away. No one gave me those tools. I earned those tools through training for triathlon because I couldn't afford therapy anymore. So I, I put in the work to gain those tools that now no one can take away from me because I created them inside of myself through the experiences that I went through. And that's, that's what I am so passionate about sharing too, especially in this day and age with, with gaining tools in the seasons that you're in, because no one can take that away from you. You know, it's almost like a way of prepping for the worst to come. I always say that the time to get healthy is now don't wait until you get a diagnosis to start doing coffee enemas because if you wait to detox your liver and to support your liver through coffee enemas, if you wait until you have your stage four diagnosis, guess what? You're already exhausted. You're already depleted. You're scared as shit and you're financially like scared and you're emotionally exhausted. So you're not going to think about adding something new to now try and address the root cause of your issues. So a lot of people ask me like, Oh, why did you take out three teeth? Like, why do you do coffee enemas? Why, why do you do ozone? Why do you do all these seemingly extreme health things when you're not sick or parasite cleansing? You know, it's, it's not very, <laughs> it's again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not your typical fashion blogger. <laughs> no, we want to hear about the coffee enemas. Like I have watched like your things. stories and I'm like, she is like, literally there's, she's doing it and she's on camera. I'm like putting coffee at my butt. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, okay. First of all, we've interviewed like colorectal surgeons on here. Like we know that some of the people, the medical people and some people listening are going to be like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, that's not safe. Everyone has an opinion, right? Of course. So let's, like, I'm in, I'm here to sort of say, okay, what can you tell us about the coffee enema thing? And like, why are there so many naysayers out there? Uh, Well, because that's that's what there are. There always have been naysayers. There always have been opinions. Everyone has their opinion and everyone has their experience. So I can't say anything about the naysayers. 
And I certainly don't give any medical advice. I don't even really educate people on coffee enemas um, because there will, if you're trying to find something negative about it, you will find it. You will find mm. peer studied, you will find peer reviews. You will find medical reviews about the, the benefits and the, the negatives on anything that you try and do. So for mm. me, I don't recommend it for anybody. I just share what I do. And that's what keeps me authentic. It, what, it's what keeps... Um, it's what keeps me from not being frustrated about the naysayers because this was my experience. I dealt with gut issues, with depression, with anxiety, with bloating, with paralysis for over 20 years with major constipation where I wouldn't go to the bathroom for sometimes a week at a time. And I had everything done from uh, colonoscopy at whatever I was 30, 35 years old, I had a colonoscopy, even though there weren't a lot of doctors that would do it because you're not supposed to do a colonoscopy until you're at, you know, post 60 or something like that. And I said, no, I want to do one. Um, and he found that I had a elongated, a very long and twisty, windy colon, a very thin and long twisted colon. So I actually have extra colon. I forget. I think you have an eight foot colon typically on average, I have way more added feet. So it actually coils up in one part of, of my organ, whatever, in one, in one part of my body. So for me, um, <clears throat> I tried every type of pill. I tried every type of everything that you can imagine, and it didn't work for me. The side effects were way worse. And I, and I like to be my own guinea pig because I don't care about peer study or I don't care about peer reviews. I don't care about medical journals. If it doesn't work for me, then it doesn't work for me. But if it does, then amazing. And I'll share what I go through because it might help somebody else who had never maybe thought of, of trying it. So mm -hmm. for coffee enemas, for me, it's nothing new. It's not like it's this new um, fun trend that people are doing. You know, coffee enemas were around since the 1800s. World War II nurses were taking the doctor's leftover coffee and putting it into people's butts because there's a, a vein <laughs> that go, goes up into you and it actually helps with inflammation, helps with pain. Um, and it helped a lot of these patients that were, you know, dealing with a lot of stuff. So again, I'm not going to share stuff mm -hmm. because there's always going to be someone that's like, well, this and that, and this and that, that's fine. Mm -hmm. For me, it, it completely cleared up my acne um, because the main the main benefit for a coffee enema is liver support. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a liver detox. So when your liver is overrun with toxins, like it is nowadays, everything that we're dealing with from pollution to environmental toxins, to plastics, to every single thing that women spray on and put on and lotion on and eat and all that stuff, our livers are dealing with a lot. It's almost like an air conditioner in the middle of New York city. And so people, the naysayers who are like, well, your liver detoxes itself. Why would it need support? Try saying that to an air conditioning unit in July uh, on, you know, 7th Avenue. It, it, has a, it has a filter. Yeah. And that filter is doing what it's supposed to do, but you need to clean out that filter. You need to vacuum out that filter. You need to replace that filter. You need to support that air conditioning filter that's clogged up with toxins so that it can continue to do what it was meant to do. And that's what a liver support detox is what coffee enemas do for me. That's what they did for me. So it gives me major support in allowing my liver to function the way that it was created to function. Um, my skin cleared up and I went to the amount of money that I spent on dermatologists, on estheticians mm. all throughout my modeling career. Um, I was on, I was on, uh, not pro, what's it called? Accutane. Accutane for two rounds. You know, the ones that you pop out that has a pregnant woman with a circle on it or with yeah, a yeah. on it that you're not Scary supposed shit. to take. Um, yeah. The amount of side effects mm. and the amount of stuff that I dealt with from that pill was, it was extremely harmful. Um, so if you want to talk to me about the, the harm of coffee enemas and <laughs> No, no, no. To the, the harm of Accutane. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just know that what what worked for me and coffee enemas have have completely changed my life because of what they do to support my liver. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And 
so have coal plunges and so have ozone insufflations and so, have <laughs> so yeah, a, a lot of different things. So what, I mean, you have, let's go to the questions that you are getting. You know, you mentioned that like you're, you know, there's a lot of people in your DMs who are feeling desperate, as you say. And are there things that you find that you're repeating or at least that you wish you could repeat to them? Like what are some of the main messages that if someone's listening to this, you know, that you would really want them to know? Uh, well, I go back to a lot of the free tools. I talk a lot about free tools because everyone now is, is looking for, excuse me, everyone's looking for a quick fix, right? Because everyone's desperate. And there are a lot of quick fixes around there. It certainly is bombarded in the media with the tea, the skinny tea. And oh, don't get me started. Like, honestly, I get the, every, they're like, Hey, we've got this, you know, you know what it's like, right? Like, Hey, we want to do a collab. I get another one for, Oh yeah. Hands. Let's do a waist trainer ad for mother's day. I was literally like, just. Oh my goodness. I mean, we could be millionaires, like billionaires if we didn't have a moral compass uh, because <laughs> the amount of money that I've turned down in the last 10 years of being on Instagram is hilarious, but I can sleep at night. And you can recognize me in the grocery store. And that means everything to me. Um, and I don't think I've ever had someone say, send a DM to me to say, hey, what you promoted didn't work or what you promoted, blah, blah, blah. Because again, I don't promote anything unless I use it authentically because you cannot pay me enough. I've been, I've been around a lot in these 44 years <laughs> and you cannot pay me enough to be inauthentic because it just, it just I, I would have nothing. I wouldn't have a platform. I wouldn't have anybody's trust if I was inauthentic. And I also, I also wouldn't be able to sleep at night because I wouldn't remember what I said the other day. Like if I'm not honest and truthful, I would be up at night being like, oh my goodness, wait, I told this person that one thing. What was that again? Oh no. And then you have to like cover it up with, with another line, cover it up. Mm. And I just don't have the bandwidth for that. Like I'm, I have way too many tabs open. So I, I have to be truthful so that I can just be like, oh yeah, no, this is my experience. Boom, done, moving on. Yeah. If you're overwhelmed and inflamed and in pain and depressed, then my very first thing would be go outside go outside every single day, go outside as many times a day as you can. If you can just go outside for five minutes, do that every single day. And then the next time you go outside, take your sunglasses off and actually allow the sun to, to enter into your retina and to do the chemical things that it does inside your brain to change things. And then next time you go outside, take off your shoes and just feel the earth and get reconnected with with either the dirt or the sand or the grass and just do things that minimize all the stuff. Get off, you know, minimize social media. If you're addicted to that, or if that is something that brings you joy, then that's great. But make sure that you also add in taking that away and add in more nature. The closer you are to nature, a friend of mine said this, the closer you are to nature, the further you are from dis-ease. And it's true because not only on a scientific and, you know, cellular basis, is that all true? But it, it, it's like emotional. Everything has a frequency and your emotions have a different frequency. So when you're standing on the earth, the earth has all these negative ions that we soak up and it changes your physiology. It, it changes everything. But doing those little things, taking less of this and just doing more, everything that you can do to get more of nature, get more sunshine, <clears throat> make sure that you're getting morning and evening sun, like watch the sunrise, watch the sunset. You can be depressed all day long, but do those two things and then go back. But you're, what you're going to find is once you start changing your habits and start creating new habits, your life will change without you having to do anything. Because you're just doing those small little things and your whole entire life will change. You know, it's not, if you're dealing with depression and anxiety and, and feeling weak and feeling overwhelmed, this is not a pill that you're going to take to all of a sudden the next day get better. This is a lifestyle change. And this lifestyle change is going to take a while, just like you didn't get depressed overnight. Or, you know, if we're I love talking to you, Nikki, about birth. 
you have to go through the hard things to gain those tools Mm -hmm. so that you have this toolbox of being able to say, okay, this is how I'm feeling today. Have I done this? Have I done that? Have I done this? Or have I done this, 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 and this? Like, how have I been feeding myself physically? How have I been feeding myself emotionally? How have I been nourishing my soul? And if it's things that have a list of side effects that are negative, then you're going to be dealing with negativity. If it has a list of side effects that are positive, then you will have more of that positive experience in life. I love that. I have so many things to ask, but I also don't no, want I know. to dominate this conversation. So Lexi, like jump in at any time. Otherwise, I'm just going to continue to geek out over here. No, I mean, same. I I was going to say, because you got into speaking about, you know, labor and, and, and postpartum a bit. So can you can you speak a bit about your postpartum experience? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd love to. I had three very different births and three very different postpartum experiences. My first birth, I was 24 years old, living in New York City, um, and I was a baby. Uh, babies having babies. (laughs) And I knew nothing. I knew nothing about pregnancy, really. All I knew was like, my mom was pregnant four times. She had four home births. I was, you know, around a lot of home births. I was a huge advocate for home births. Um, I had my baby in a birthing center in New York. um, Because just because we lived in an apartment, and I wasn't allowed to give birth in our apartment, because we were on the 37th floor. And there was you know, my midwife was like, well, you know, if the electricity goes out, you'd be giving labor on, you know, walking down 37 flights of stairs. So anyway, I was in a birthing center and it was amazing. You know, first, first pregnancy, first birth experiences are just, it is what it is. I don't know anyone who's like, my first birth was just incredible. And I gave birth to a unicorn and I was a butterfly. Like it just, every first birth I feel like has an incredible story because it typically it changes, it changes you completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so my birth was, but actually my birth was pretty amazing. Uh, he was 10 pounds. He was a big baby. And um, my mother and my mother-in-law were in the room and they were filming it. And <laughs> overall it was a pretty great experience, but my postpartum period was, was terrible. And again, only because I didn't have any tools, I didn't have any support and I didn't have any tools of knowing what postpartum depletion really was. I didn't, I didn't research. I was not researching at all back then. This was 20 years ago. Um, I didn't think about what I had just given to my baby, what I had downloaded, even just on a mineral level. I had no idea what I had downloaded to my child to create a human life. Um, So I just thought, oh, afterwards, you know, I would just eat pizza and ice cream and like be loving this beautiful baby that everyone was so excited to meet. Well, I was so depressed, like that I was in the fetal position for weeks after having my baby. And I remember the first time, like I couldn't stop crying. I didn't feel connected to my baby at all. I was so depressed that um, I was depressed because I wasn't connecting to him. Like I was, I was so low um that I remember the first time that we went out for lunch because my mother-in-law was still there and, and they wanted to you know take us out for lunch um I cry I was crying so hard that I couldn't eat and I had to excuse myself I went to the bathroom while my mother-in-law was holding the baby I went to the bathroom and I had my diaper bag still on me and I went into the stall and I took the soother out of the diaper bag and put my legs up onto the toilet so I could be in the fetal position and I was sucking on the soother rocking back and forth in the bathroom stall because I was that depressed and that just like completely out of it. And now again, looking back, I was freaking so depleted. Like I had zero knowledge around nurturing myself and, and bringing life-giving food and minerals and hydration and nutrient density. And like had no idea about the Vada and about all the, the, the emptiness in my womb. Like I I hadn't addressed that whatsoever. So I went for years being depressed. I had finally, you know, probably after a few months had finally started to connect um, to my baby, but then we moved to Los Angeles and it was like a whole, a whole 
gong show after that because it just was like new, new, new. Everything was new. Um, but that was a big, that was a big kind of cornerstone for me of not wanting to go through that again and having a lot of empathy for women who had, who suffer from that because I had no idea, you know, I just, I, I don't remember my mom ever being depressed. I just always thought of birth and home birth. And, you know, my mom has had home birth parties. Like she was just a wild child. So she had, she had birthing parties where she would have people come over and like have a party while she was giving birth was just like a very, Oh my God. I don't know, 70s, 60s. I don't know what it was, but yeah. So that was just my view of it. So that just really rocked my world, that postpartum time. Mm. And I really didn't do, again, I didn't do anything about it. It just, I just thought, oh, this is just what it is. Um, Mm. And then went to New York, I mean, went to LA and started going through a separation process, a divorce process. And that just exacerbated the depression and threw me more into, you know, the, the funnel of guilt and being a single parent and all that stuff. So um, that was my first postpartum. I was living in LA with my second pregnancy. So I got divorced, got remarried, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Became a world-class triathlete, traveled to Beijing, all that stuff. Then I got married and got, got pregnant again. So a lot of the resilience I learned was through my training in triathlon, which just was like rock, rock bottom. It's when I stopped smoking, I only stopped smoking because I started triathlon and I could only quit smoking because triathlon was harder than quitting. So there's that whole little wrap up of that story. But um, the second pregnancy I learned because I really had to start doing a lot more research because I had placenta previa. And so I was told that I needed a C-section. And for me, not only was that absolutely heart-wrenching because my mother had just died and the connection that I had to my mom was home births and it was almost like she was so proud of me because I was having a home birth so she died I got pregnant right after and um, having to know that I'm going like I put off that c-section till I think I was 39 and a half weeks and I was supposed to have it at 37 weeks because they didn't want me to go into labor with placenta previa but my doctor, I begged him, I said, it's going to move. It's going to move. <laughs> so he was like, it's not moving. I don't know what to tell you, but I still was so stubborn. I think because of my ego around home birth and also because of that connection to my mom, somehow I didn't want to go through that surgery because it was almost like it would it would disconnect me from my mom. Maybe. I don't know. It was like a weird, this is the first time that I'm saying that. And it's a weird connection. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I did a lot of research around nurturing myself and having a different experience. Your belly is so full of life and full of just every miracle that you can imagine. And then giving birth, that energy is all out, but there's that empty space until all of your organs melt down and go perfectly back into where they're supposed to be. But there's that empty space, which is why you have a lot of gas and a lot of discomfort, especially around a Mm -hmm. C-section. So just introducing those warm broths and warm bone broth, warm congee, that like easily digestible, that white rice with milk and just that warm comforting food. It's almost like you don't, you're not just sitting there now in complete desolation and emptiness mm-hmm. in your own body. That's why skin to skin is also so important and having your baby on you, having skin to skin with your partner as much as you can, like refilling that energy that you just downloaded everything to your baby, but taking care of yourself so that you can take care of your baby. And that's, that's what I did in my, in my second postpartum period was just make sure that I had those times of rest because she also talks about 40 days postpartum and Mm -hmm. taking those 40 days of really like not adding anything into your calendar, having the days where you're just on your bed and then just the days that you have, or like a week on your bed and then a week around your bed. And then the third (laughs) week, (laughs) which is nice to have if you don't have any other responsibilities. Right. Yeah. But as much as as much as you can, like setting, setting up things so that you 
have that community and have that totally. support around you, which I know, sounds I know like why you're morning, laughing because it seems impossible. A week but. in your bed and a weekend around your bed sounds really nice. I know. Lexi's pregnant we, with twins. Did you know that, Angie? She's no, pregnant with twins. I had no right idea. So we've got like full, full womb right here. Yes. <laughs> Very oh full God. womb. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this is all like the comforting food. I'm going to be like, okay, Adam, hook me up with some nice food service. And uh, I need. But even if, even if you don't have food service, you can easily do it yourself. So you yeah. just make it beforehand, you prep it, make it yeah. before and put it in the freezer so that you have all of your congee in the freezer, your kitchery, like all of these ancient foods that are really medicinal and really yeah. like bringing nutrients back into your body because you're downloading everything. That's why the old wives tale, which isn't a wives tale, it's all true, but gain, gain a child, lose a tooth, that mm-hmm. whole thing, because oh, you're yeah. downloading all of your minerals into your baby and you're you know, you need to be nurturing yourself and giving yourself back all that stuff. So you can just have either have someone that, you know, if you have a mom, if you have an aunt, if you have a friend, Mm -hmm. ask them to come over for a day and you guys just like full meal prep batch, make all these amazing foods. You just stick them in the freezer and you can have food for weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, Nikki and I both had our, our second babies right at the beginning of the pandemic, basically. And I feel mm-hmm. like any, any, and, and that, and we were, we thought we were going to be like the odd ones out, right. Cause the pandemic was not supposed to go on for two years. Yeah. And <laughs> now, you know, you think of all of the mothers that, you know, or women that became moms through that and the, probably the lack of this exact thing through yep. their experiences. Like, I mean, I know Nikki and I both, we both have our own businesses. Like we definitely were not treating ourselves the way we should have been postpartum. And I'm sure I know like the impacts of that were, well, they showed up in my pelvic floor, right, Nikki? (laughs) Yeah. The leaking and the the running for sure. The tension, the stress, whatever. I mean, you're about to have four kids under four, like for context here. You're about to have four kids under four and you're running a massive business with like hundreds of people who work for you and franchise, like it's, it's no joke. And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's not everybody obviously, but it's the point is, is that I guess what Angie and I'm, I'm, you know, feel free to interrupt me if I am, I'm getting the summary wrong, Angie, but like, yeah, it's, it's also just setting yourself up with, support even if you don't have like it's I'm always just like ask for help I say this on my platform all the time on Instagram and people are like well must be nice or I don't live close to my family or right so like not everybody has a a family member or even close friend that can I mean you hear these stories of like military wives and I'm like are you kidding me like how is this even feasible you know like Mm -hmm. you're essentially single parenting with a newborn and a toddler like the stories are are incredible the power and the strength of women is incredible but there's a cost mm-hmm, and you're saying is. we can we can prepare as best we can obviously like it's not perfect but you know not, even nothing is things, perfect absolutely yeah. nothing is perfect you do what you can in the season you're in and the reason why I talk a lot like I said about prepping or preparing is that you are prepared and not scared for anything that happens in life you have no idea when you know if you're leaning on your mom for full support and she dies then, then what? Like you need to be prepared for as much as you can and gain as much tools, gain as many tools as you can so that you're not in a desperate place. And again, yeah, nothing, nothing is perfect, but you can prepare as much as you can for the season, for the season that you're in. And there's, like you said, women are just unbelievable. Like we have no idea how much we can do. The problem with that is I think that we're doing it wrong. (laughs) And I I think that we're trying to do too much on, Mm -hmm. on the same, on, on the same schedule as a man is doing it. And I, I won't get into that too much here, but um, the amount, the amount that I cringe when I see women posting um, their postpartum pictures of them where you know, they, they, they still haven't healed from their scar, from their C-section. They're literally like still have wraps on from their C-section and they have two 
pumps on their breasts because they're pumping and they have a computer on their lap because they're getting those emails in, you know, they're making sure they're responding to those emails. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we are doing ourselves such a massive, massive Mm -hmm. disservice thinking that we can do all these things. And at the end, we are like stressed out and it riddled with anxiety and not connected and completely depleted all because we thought that we, or we think that we have to keep up and think that we have to do all these things in one. I'm guilty of that. 100% guilty. Like one, so, I was so like, am I? so am I, why do you think I'm so frustrated on this podcast right I now? Like, I think I have that <laughs> exact picture except for not the season. No, actually, actually like <laughs> making it happen. Like, Oh, and, and, but it's the badge of busy. Right. And this is something that like I struggle full disclosure. Yeah. I didn't think the conversation was going to go here, but we're going to go here. This feeling of like, if I'm not probably the biggest source of my stress these days is this feeling that I am not being productive enough that I am not producing enough value for people who follow me I am not writing enough of this damn book that I have signed a contract to write which is like holy crap my head's gonna explode like I am not doing enough things I am not you know registering in advance enough for my kids activities and I am not you know blah 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 blah. like that you know I think you know where I'm going with this and I'm just like and I always say to myself and maybe I need to reframe this this has become a therapy session for me (laughs) But basically, for all of us, what do I need to reframe this and to think like, you know, you're you're doing enough. Take a deep breath. Learn to prioritize. This isn't about like competing against the yourself. It's like I don't know. I'm I'm fumbling here, but you know what I love. Yeah, struggle is. Um, and I love that we're fumbling through this because that's I think the the best way to learn because we learn from each other and we learn from hearing our own voice, like you said, reframing it. Right. Um, I. What I said before, if I think we're doing it wrong, I don't, I don't mean that we shouldn't be busy and I don't mean that we shouldn't be productive. But I think if we, if we think of it in a cycle, because as women, we run on this 28, 26, 27, 28 day cycle, right? Then you can be much more productive than you think when you, when you work with your cycle rather than against it. So think of nature. Nothing in nature is productive 100% 24 hours a day. Nothing other than the sun, I guess. But <laughs> damn that sun. You, <laughs> damn you, son. No, if if you think about what we are as women, there are times in our cycle where we are so on it and we're so productive and we're lifting weights while we're grocery shopping while we have a list of this like the multitasking that can occur but then there's also the other part in our luteal phase where we we should be allowing ourselves to then rest to recoup to regather to not have as much on our plate to like eat certain foods that give us different types of energy that create more support around progesterone like there's so many things that we can do in our superpower of dealing with our cycle rather than thinking that we have to be on 24 Mm seven and like giving more, pumping more out, like you said, creating more value. Otherwise people are going to be mad on Instagram. (laughs) Arlen's always like, when did Instagram become your boss? (laughs) What is that all about? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, because I feel bad because they're using my link and blah, blah. And he's like, they're getting a discount. Why do you feel bad about that? And uh, I, <laughs> anyway, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's somehow we feel like there's this like overlord of someone with a whip, making sure that we're constantly being productive, where if we were able to, to work more within our cycle, knowing when you can be so much more productive and when you can rest and recover. I mean, I think if more of us did that, we would allow other women to do that. And then it would create more grace and it wouldn't be this constant slap in the face of you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. And all of us on this call are like, yeah, guilty of that. Even though we're all the ones that say, you know, you shouldn't do that. You should give yourself more grace. And we're like the first ones to not give ourselves grace. I, I, I'm that way. Oh, and a hundred and 50% also. And I, but I agree. And I think ultimately, you know, and it's, it's that challenge of like what, you know, and then what you actually do, because 
I, I remember Nikki, we had an interview with someone um, all around this exact thing. And I was like, all right, I got to start following this whole, like the cycle and when we're most productive and all of these things. I've never done it since. And now it's coming <laughs> back again. So, <laughs> but you don't have a cycle right now and neither do I, which is wild because I'm still breastfeeding. Oh yeah, that's pregnant. right. We don't, yeah, so I was like, I what do we do? Cycle, like, well, I'm pregnant. <laughs> now you still have a cycle, even though you don't bleed. Oh, you, really? still, oh. you still have a, you still have a cycle. Yeah. You still, yeah, well, we got to figure out our cycles still running on a cycle, but you know what, what's been happening to me lately is I've just, I keep on falling flat on my face. I keep on shutting down. I keep on having breakdowns and just like how I gained resilience in my twenties and my thirties with falling flat on my face. I feel like I'm going through another big shift. Um, right now in business and in adding more things. And I just, I keep on shutting down. And luckily I have a partner that lovingly reminds me of how often I shut down. (laughs) He lovingly supports me around how much I shut down, but I am, I'm definitely getting into a season where I'm just like enough, Mm -hmm. enough because my dad died at 40. My mom died at 65 and I'm 44 now and I'm kind of like, when is enough? Because I'm, I'm realizing the cycles that I'm in in my lifetime. And I was stressed out and anxious when I was um, poor. I was stressed out and anxious when I had, uh, when my mom died. I was stressed out and anxious when I was a millionaire. I was stressed out. Like I've been weirdly addicted to, to stress and to pro- productivity where I, I've like it's it's in every single like it's never enough. I can never help enough. I can never be enough. I can never do enough, and I keep on shutting down. And I'm really starting to realize that like nothing's going to change if I don't change this. And it really is happening with me. Keep I keep on hitting the wall, and I keep on shutting down. So I'm making small, small, small changes to realize that and to voice it and to allow myself to be in that space and to lead by example, where I take a few days off of Instagram and don't come back with this big excuse of like, Hey, you know, I'm so sorry. And like be apologetic (laughs) about it. I'm like, yeah, I took a few days off and Hey guys, you know, glad, glad to be back and just keep on moving through it instead of constantly apologizing and constantly, I don't know, constantly going through the same thing and expecting a different result. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the definition of stupidity? Didn't mm-hmm. Albert Einstein or or insanity? Yes, insanity. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, insanity. That's what it was. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's I, yeah. It's nice that you. It's really refreshing that you share that, and you're so real about it because, um through what you do and like what you speak to and you're finding resilience and all of that also sharing that I, you know, you're going through this stage and it's challenging and here, you know, trying to do this, not being enough and all those feelings that so many women especially feel um, in trying to really do it all when really there's times where we need to step back, listen to ourselves Um, allow ourselves the space to breathe and ultimately end up probably more productive for it in, in taking that space. But it's really, it's nice and refreshing. (laughs) This is a really great therapy session for both Nikki and I. Oh yeah, it is. Me too. I I mean, I voiced stuff that I never, never voiced before like that. What was that whole C-section and surgery from my mom thing? That was interesting. A little bit that came up. We always um, want to please our parents, don't we? Like we want to always make them proud. And and I know that your mom would be proud of you no matter what. Yeah. I don't know. I'd like to think so, but I also think it's more important to be proud of ourselves. I'm learning that too, where I'm like, I need I need to be proud of myself. I need to like be be there for myself, which again, I don't know why it's such a weird, guilty feeling of like putting your own mask on first. I don't know why that's so hard to do like why is it why does that feel so guilty when really the more you're able to do for yourself the more you're just able to operate from a full abundant cup to help more people but it just feels so gross like I don't know it's weird work in progress but yeah I'm I'm definitely working on that and I, I I like doing this podcast for actually it's the first time that I really have voiced 
that how many times I've had breakdowns. Our mission here at the We Go There podcast is to Mm -hmm. inspire people, to give people hope. What advice do you have for those currently fighting battles of their own? Yeah. What what advice would you have for anybody? And that's the reality. There's going to be someone, you know, maybe going on a walk, pushing their stroller, listening to this podcast who might be feeling a whole host of negative feelings. What would you say to them? Again, the easiest general answer that I can give, because it has to be so general, like you said, um, everyone has their story. Everyone has their environment that they're living in. Everyone has the choices that they've made to get to where they are. Um, I would just always go back to the free tools, always go back to being as close to nature as you can. And I say this with so much empathy. I say this as a pack of cigarette a day smoker in having three different types of antidepressants um, running through my system. And no, like, and I, I couldn't go out in the daytime because I felt like a vampire. So the first step that I did that I couldn't even do myself, a friend, it took a friend of mine who was actually an acquaintance to come over. He took the cigarette out of my hand and he put me on a bike at night on the nights that I didn't have my son because I shared custody. So he took the cigarette out of my hand, put me on a bike, and we went on a bike ride around the block at night because I couldn't go out in the day because it was the day felt too happy for me and I, I couldn't deal with happiness. I had to deal. I had to sit in my sadness. That's why I smoked because I, I, I felt so like such a victim around my divorce and everything that I was going through. So, but it took that movement. It took that free tool of movement to just start the ball rolling. And then it was like two steps back, but then I did another thing and then another two steps back. But it was like this continued, this continued I didn't even have hope. So I can't even say like, just, just hold on to hope. I didn't have any hope, <laughs> but I had other people that, that had hope for me. Um, but just hopefully I can be an example to someone that if you're on, if you're in that dark place that there, that there is hope, even if you don't have it for yourself, you've seen someone else go through it and you know that it's possible. And I hope to be that, that possibility for someone, because I think I, I think, and I know now that there is always hope and every step that you take can bring you closer to a life that is not in that hole. You are that person. I think you are. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.